So I want to talk about the concept of Hidden Mitzvah. I want to talk about, first of all, what is Hidden Mitzvah? To try to better encompass what the parameters are, how that relates practically in Halakha. But specifically regarding Hanukkah, Hanukkah is a place where I think we see this manifest in a very, very serious way, but also in a very, very diverse way. So after defining what Hidden Mitzvah is, I want to go and try to explain 10 different types of hitter which are expressed in the world of Hanukkah, which I think is a, is a novelty to me this year, that the, the diversity of the types of hitter mitzvah, and to the extremity that we see that the Rishonim went and they came and actually invented new types of hitter which they claim are even against the Gemara. They felt like they had the liberty to do. So let's, let's see. So the basic, uh, the basic Gemara, is the first one I brought you in source one, is that we know there's three different ways that you can fulfill the mitzvah of Ne'er Hanukkah. The basic mitzvah is what we call Ne'er Ishu Beso. That means that you light one candle every single night of Hanukkah. That suffices not only for you, the person who owns the house, but even everyone else in your household. And that's it. So you want to know what Chazal obligated you? What's the Ikra Din? What's the letter of the law? One candle for each person. Then the Gemara says, Mahadrin. What do people who beautify mitzvahs do? They light a candle for each person in the house. That means to say that, you know, I have six kids and a wife. So that means that every night I would light eight candles. Late night number one, I light eight candles. Late number two, I light eight candles. Late number three, I light eight candles. And that's called Mahadrin. Now the fact that Chazal entertained, a, they gave it a title, there's a nomenclature called Mahadrin, is something which is unique to Hanukkah. Chazal talk about the concepts in general of Hidr Mitzvah, but there's a title called Mahadrin, is unique to, to Hanukkah. Now not only did they do, go ahead and do that, but they came along and did something even more. There's something called Mahadrin Mina Mahadrin. You want to not only beautify mitzvahs, a person who really wants to beautify mitzvahs, he wants to take it to the next degree, so what's he do? It's Machlokis Beis Shammai Beis Hillel. But according to us, we find like Beis Hillel. It says, Yom Rishon Madakachas. The first night we light one. And we come to Eilech Moosevah Afterwards, we continuously light more. All right? And it's going to be a Machlokis Rishon, and we'll see momentarily what's that mean. But it means that the first night you light one, then two, then three, there's a progression. Now, in order to break into this, I want to discuss in general. Or let's see, let's see Adarab. Let's see how it's expressed, and then we'll talk about more in general. So I brought for you here two Rambams. The Rambam, source number two, is in Hilchus Hanukkah, Perak Aleph. Perak Dharam, sorry, Allah Aleph. He says, Come and nearest Madlik Pachanukkah. How many candles do you light on Hanukkah? Mitzvah says, She a cool bias of bias Madlik Nerechot. The mitzvah is that each house should light one candle. Binchu Anche a bias Merubin, Binchu a bo el Odem Echad. Whether there's a lot of people or not a lot of people. Now we do call Neri Shubeso. That's the basic mitzvah that the Gemara discussed. The Mahadr is a mitzvah, and a person who beautifies mitzvahs, what's he do? Madik Neris Kamina Anshebayas, Nelakal Echad Echad. He lights based off the amount of people in his house. Now, the Mahadr Yesalzer is very interesting. The Rambam changes the language, right? He doesn't say that it's Mahadr Mina Mahadrin, but someone who does even more of the beautification. So what's he say you do? He lights one candle for each person the first night. Every night he adds an additional candle. 
Now, what's that mean? Right, it's a little bit ambiguous. The Rambam explains in the next halacha. Kate says, so how do we do that? What's it going to look like? Let's say you had 10 people living in your house. So, the first night, he lights 10 candles. Right, one candle for each person in the house. And the second night, what's he do? A stream, he lights 20 candles. So that means that he's lighting now two candles for each person in the house. The, the next night, the third night, how many do they light? 30, obviously. Now, I want to ask a simple question. Who is lighting all these candles? We're breaking it up between the different people in the house? I don't know what happens in your house. In my house, I light one menorah, right? The first night I light one, and my kids each light one, like the second night. We break it up between different individuals. In the world of the Rambam, who is lighting? One guy, the Balabayas. That's it. Guys, how come there's not so many Hawaiian shirts today? There are a few, but I'm saying... Mahadran. I just want to, I'm just pointing it out there. I don't know what happened. Maybe there's an advanced warning, but you weren't getting sure of it. Yeah. All right, I'm just pointing it out. Just my parents are here, so first of all, Shalom Aleichem. But I just want to let them know that Shir Chloe, generally speaking, the, the guys wear Hawaiian shirts. They became like a Minigan Yeshiva. So I'm, I'm calling them out now. That not, there's a, not so many Hawaiian shirts. Thank you, Rubek. Yeah? But, so it's clear, it's clear in the Rambam that only the Balabayas is lighting. Only the Balabayas is lighting. Now let's see the Ramah. The Ramah comes along. It's here in source 4. And the Ramah says, There's some that say that each member of the house lights by himself. And that was the clear custom. That was the clear custom. So now it comes out, between the Rambam and the Ramah. According to the Rambam, one person is lighting all the candles on behalf of everyone in the house. Whereas according to the Ramah, so that means that Every single person is lighting on their own as individual. And the first night, each one will light one. The second night, everyone will light two. So you're ending up with the same amount of candles, but the process through which that's happening is totally different. Now, obviously, this is going to be, we're going to try to explain this, how this fits into the realm of Hitter Mitzvah. But before, and let's take a back check now. I want to establish, we set the stage, right? This tremendous machlokas between the Rambam and the Ramah. So let's discuss what is Hitter Mitzvah. The source of Hidden Mitzvah is a Gemara. The Gemara is also in Shabbos. The Gemara brings a Pasuk, a famous Pasuk. We say it every morning in Davening. Even if you, if you make it before Barakal. If you don't make it before Barakal, then you don't say it. <laughs> so it depends if you're on the hit list in the morning. But the bar, it brings a Pasuk, Zekeli van Vehil, right? This is my God. I'm going to beautify him. Right? They said this, Klein said this by Shira Sayam when they crossed the sea. Now the Gemara expounds, what does it mean van Vehu, beautify him? So the Gemara says, You should make yourself beautiful before him with your mitzvahs. So now, how do you do that? What does it mean to make yourself beautiful before him with mitzvahs? So it says, Make in four of him a beautiful sukkah. Your sukkah should be very nice. Make, it, make sure that you have the most beautiful lulav possible. Your sisters should be beautiful, whether they're white, whether they're blue, but they should be beautiful, right? <laughs> Sefer Torah, Noah, have a beautiful Sefer Torah. And what, you should write all the names of Hashem in it. They should be written for the Shem Hashem, Shem and Torah. And Bidiona with a beautiful ink, Bekomasna with a beautiful pen, Belovla Uman, and the person who wrote it, the scribe, the scribe who wrote it, should be very professional. You should wrap it in beautiful silks. So now, 
we're going to have to discuss this now, but what's it saying? That whatever mitzvah you're doing, you should do it with the most beautiful way possible. You should try to beautify the mitzvah in the most extreme way is available to you. And that's manifest if you're writing a Sefer Torah, not just with the Torah itself, but with who's writing it and how they're writing it, right? What type of ink they're using. Every aspect of it should be beautified. So now, yeah? Clarification? So I'm going to hold off, yeah? So now, like this. The fact this Gemara is saying that, you know, I'm going to tell you an interesting fact. You're going to have to believe me on this one. The Rambam brings in three places in the entire Mishnah Torah the concept of Hidah Mitzvah. There's only three places he brings it. Not even time you can use the language Hidah Mitzvah, sometimes the Mitzvah in a Mufchar. There's three places he says it. Number one is Eged by Lulav. Eged by Lulav means that we know we have four species that we have to take when it comes to Sukkis. Three of them we bind together. The binding together that the Rambam refers to as Hidah Mitzvah. There's something else called Mukaf Gvil in a Sefer Torah. When you write a Sefer Torah, around the letters of the Sefer Torah, there's always parchment which is empty. That's called Mukaf Gvil. It's surrounded with a border. Right? That's the Rambam refers to as a Hidah Mitzvah. And the third case is a case of Mila. Mila, there's something, there's different parts of the foreskin that a person removes when they do a bris Mila. Some of those parts of the foreskin are preventative for the mitzvah, that if you don't remove them, so then you don't fulfill the mitzvah. And other parts, we prefer that you remove them, but if you didn't remove them, nonetheless you fulfill the mitzvah. Those are the three places that Rambam brings the concept called Hidah Mitzvah. Now, let's say as follows. The Gemara in Shabbos brings down, I brought to you in Source 6, that if a person is doing bris milah on Shabbos, or is doing bris milah, I'm sorry, let's start simple, is doing bris milah, and what happens if he cuts off the part of the foreskin which is necessary in order to fulfill the mitzvah, but he doesn't remove the parts of the foreskin which are unnecessary. The only reason he would remove them is what we would call a hidden mitzvah, a beautification of the mitzvah. So what's the halacha there? Is he allowed to go ahead and continue doing the meal in order to remove them? So the Gemara qualifies. The Gemara says it depends. If he stopped, if he pulled away, and he's not in the same process of cutting off the foreskin, so then he can't do it anymore. But if he didn't pull away, he's still within that initial process, even though it's more than one cut, but he never, he never stopped that being in the mode of cutting. He's still leaning over, he still has the scalpel in hand. So then he's allowed to continue. That's a Gemara. So we see clearly from the Gemara that this concept of hitter, seemingly, or this concept of removing the foreskin, has to be done in one process, in one, it has to be one contiguous act, and if that act is stopped, you can't continue. The question is, what's the case that the Gemara is talking about? So almost all of the Rishonim understand that this case is talking about Shabbos. That when we're talking about doing a bris on Shabbos, are you allowed to do a bris on Shabbos? Is it allowed to wound someone on Shabbos? Can you make someone bleed on Shabbos? Right? What happens if someone bleeds or you can make an incision on someone on Shabbos? And mutter is a malacha de rice, a malacha de rabbanon. It's a malacha de raisa. There's a malacha de raisa making someone causing a wound on Shabbos. Nonetheless, we do bris milah on Shabbos. Chazal expound that because it says, Biyom hashmini yimel basar And since it says, Biyom hashmini on the eighth day, it said that Chazal expound from there that teaches us even on Shabbos. So even on Shabbos, you're not to do bris milah. So now, let's, let's talk practically, right? So now, if I fulfilled the mitzvah already, how am I allowed to continue to cut the foreskin? 
If the whole point, the foreskin, cutting extra parts of shenius parts of the foreskin is only hit a mitzvah. Is Hidr Mitzvah also able to push aside the, the prohibition of Malachi Shabbos? What do you say? No. Absolutely not, right? So if, if Hidr Mitzvah doesn't have this leniency that you can push aside the desecration of Shabbos in order to fulfill Hidr Mitzvah, that's something which is unique to Shabbos, so then, I'm sorry, it's something unique to Mila, then how can the Gemara say that when you're in the middle of cutting for the mila, even if you've cut off all the parts of the foreskin which are necessary in order to fill the mitzvah, nonetheless, if you didn't stop that act, you can continue cutting. Well, how could how could that be? How could it be that the, you can still be desecrate Shabbos? You can be chal Shabbos just for fulfillment of hidden mitzvah. What does that teach us? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. So Ari Berman's saying something excellent. Ari Berman's saying that hitter mitzvah doesn't mean that there's two different... Every time you fulfill a mitzvah, the hitter. What does that mean? That means that I fulfilled the mitzvah, and besides fulfilling the mitzvah, I also fulfilled a separate mitzvah called hitter? Or does that mean that hitter mitzvah is an enhancement of the mitzvah itself that I'm performing? So when I cut off the foreskin, the parts which are unnecessary... That's still a continuation of the mitzvah brismila. It's just a beautification. It's an enhanced version of that mitzvah. So from here we would see that it's an enhanced version of the performance of the mitzvah, right? And that has to be, or else, how could you do, how could you do it on Shabbos? The fact that you can continue to cut even though it's on Shabbos would mean that <clears throat> definitionally it has to be part of the mitzvah itself. Now, if that's true, so let's take a look, look at some of the list here, right? We had, for example... A beautiful pen, right? That was one of our examples of Hitter Mitzvah. Is a beautiful pen something which is, you know, part of the mitzvah of writing a Sefer Torah? There's a mitzvah, right? Kiss for the Chemist, Ashira Hazois. You have to write a Sefer Torah. Is having a beautiful pen enhance the mitzvah inherently of writing a beautiful Sefer Torah? So I would say it depends. What does it mean to have a beautiful pen? So the Piskei the Pitzke read is Rabbi Yishai Mitzrani, is one of the G'dayli Yishinim. He writes that having a beautiful pen means that the letters come out clearer. The letters come out clearer. So what was, what, what was, what was his impetus to go ahead and say that having a beautiful pen means the letters come out clearer? Why do you say that? Having a beautiful pen means that it's made out of gold, right? You get a Parker pen that's silver, right? Fancy pen. He didn't say that. It writes better. Why is that? Because yeah. Yeah. Oh, it has to be part of the mitzvah. Hidden mitzvah is something which speaks to the mitzvah itself. It has to be inherent to the mitzvah itself. And therefore, if it's not speaking to the mitzvah of the having of writing a Sefer Torah, that's not called hidden. I brought for you a Svasemis and Source 8. Svasemis says, what's it mean to have a nice pen? It looks pretty. It is jewel-encrusted. A nice pen. What do you mean? The Gemara says, have a nice pen. It doesn't mean it writes nicely. It said, well, if it meant it writes nicely, it would have said it writes nicely. So now, if that's true, so what's the Svasemis understand that Hidah Mitzvah is? With like um, a shofar, for example, like a lot of people say that you do like Hidah Mitzvah by like hitting like the, the gold with like the silver things that they put on it. But how does that make it? How does that make the Mitzvah of shofar? That's an excellent question. I'm going to be able to address that. Mirza Hashem, if in 15 minutes you don't have an answer to that question, I'll come back to it, okay? Mirza Hashem. 
Can, can I hold off? Can I hold off for now? Is it okay, guys? Oh, Welcome. It's not a question. It's not a question. That's why I held off. Yeah, it's Peseda. So now, like this. So now, we see now from the Svasemis as a concept, maybe, of Hidda Mitzvah that doesn't speak to the fulfillment of the Mitzvah itself. That's going to have to be defined. But, so like this. So, besides this opinion that the Gemara on Shabbos and regarding Mila is talking about Mila on Shabbos itself, there's a second opinion. That opinion is the opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam's of the opinion that that Shabbos, the Gemara on Shabbos, it says when you're cutting, you have to cut in one continuous process, and if you pause, you're not able to go back, is talking even on Chol, even if it's not on Shabbos. And that means that even if it's not on Shabbos, once you've fulfilled the mitzvah of bris milah, you can't go back and fulfill hit a mitzvah afterwards. You're done. So if it's one continuous action, fine. But if it's not one continuous action, then nothing doing. So that's the stance of the Rambam. Now what's the explanation of the Rambam? So I brought for you here, this is probably the most famous Beis Levi in existence. The Beis Levi claims that, you know, when can I go ahead, the Beis Levi here is in Source 9. Source 10, I'm sorry. The Beis Levi claims that when can I go ahead and fulfill Hidr Mitzvah? Hidr Mitzvah can only be fulfilled at the same time that I'm fulfilling the Mitzvah itself. When I'm in the middle of performing the actual Mitzvah, then I have the ability to beautify it. But once I've stopped that process of fulfilling the Mitzvah itself, I've paused, I've separated for a moment, I can't now go back and fulfill it after the fact. I'm done. My mitzvah is part and parcel on my performance of the mitzvah itself. And now that I missed that opportunity, I'm out of it. So then I can't continue that process. I can't make it up afterwards. So claims the Beis Alevi, that's trapped in the Gemara and Shabbos, that according to the Rambam, the Rambam who says, if you stopped cutting the mila, now you want to go back and do, do the tzitzel shayna ma'atman, you want to cut off part of the foreskin, which is not necessary, it's only beautification of the mitzvah, now you can't do You can't do that. Why not? Because since it's a beautification of the mitzvah, you finished your fulfillment of the mitzvah, you can't add that on afterwards. Clarification? No question. Yeah, no, just a question. So, so let's hold off for a moment. Yeah, we're, we're, building, we're building it up, guys. Yeah, we have, we have 35 minutes left. So now, there's some of you excited about that, some of you not excited about it. <laughs> so now, like this. So that's all within the stance of the Rambam. But we know, and so that's, that's true, so then let's plug it back in. We just said in the Rambam, though, that we, there's another stance. We saw there's something called the Sasemis. The Sasemis says that there's something called Hidr Mitzvah that you can perform, even if it doesn't speak to the fulfillment of the Mitzvah itself, right? Have a beautiful pen, you're writing a Sefer Torah, it's made out of gold. Hidr Mitzvah, unbelievable. You have an Esro box, it's made out of silver. Hidr Mitzvah, right? What Hidr Mitzvah? You shook the lulav any better? You didn't shake the lulav any better. But I'm showing that I care about the mitzvah. Who cares? What's that? So maybe we could present that the Svasemis is a source that is a separate, a whole different track of Hidr Mitzvah. There's a Hidr Mitzvah that's not in the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah itself. The fulfillment of the mitzvah is the same exact thing. Whether, my, whether or not my esrog is in a silver box or not doesn't change my fulfillment of the mitzvah of Dalad Minim. But what to do? It shows that I care about the mitzvah. It's still something I would call it chavivasa mitzvah, an endearment to the mitzvah. The fact that it's, this mitzvah is significant to you, it's important to you. 
So if that's true, there's such a concept, then maybe we could postulate there's two totally different tracks of hitter. One hitter is a hitter which speaks to the actual mitzvah itself, and the other track would be a hitter which just shows an endearment for the mitzvah. I brought for you here a Rambam in Hilchas Yisuri Mizbeach. I'm not, uh, I can't tell you that I'm holding in all of Yisuri Mizbeach, but the Rambam here is a famous Rambam. The Rambam says, in Source 9, the Rambam brings down, he asks a question, a very interesting question. They weren't so interested in the questions they left. But, there's an interesting question. I call them out. I don't know, I'm not shy. Yeah, so, the Rambam asks a question. He says, you know, when it came to this story back in Parsha Spiracious, Kain Vehevel, we had two brothers, they didn't get along so well, right? So he asked the question, how come Hevel's korban was accepted and Kain's korban was not accepted, right? You remember the story? They both offer up offerings, right? Yeah. So he asked, how come they weren't accepted? So he says that when it came to Hevel, so Hevel brought the most beautiful, the most meshubach, the most unbelievable thing that he had, Whereas Cain didn't bring that. And therefore, Hashem accepted Hevel's sacrifice since it became, he gave up the best, he put his best foot forward, he gave his best of his produce, the best of his offerings. And Cain didn't, and therefore he didn't accept Corbin, his, uh, Cain's korban. So now it says the Rambam, it's the same thing, anything which you do for the sake of Hashem, it should be from your best. You should give your best for everything. And therefore, in Bebona based Tefillah, if you build a shul, your shul should be more beautiful than your house. You, feel, you feed someone who's hungry, you give him the best food from your, from, that you have to offer. So you have one steak, it's just coming off the grill, and you have some hot dogs in the freezer, and now someone knocks on your door and needs food. Corn bloom, you give up the steak, how much it hurts. And you have to eat hot dogs for dinner. Why? Because, right? Because it's dinner the Rambam. If you're giving someone, you know, someone who clothes who doesn't have clothes, you give him your fish of exuso. So Patestio has to give up his award of being the best dressed guy in yeshiva and give it over to the guy. He has to be second best dressed. That's, this Rambam is mandating that from you. It's demanding that from you. So if we're going to look for a source then, so how do I know I should have a silver asterisk box? Because there we see a concept that when you do a mitzvah, even if that's not speaking to the parameters of the mitzvah itself, even if I gave him hot dogs instead of my steak, nonetheless, he's not hungry anymore. It's better than what he would have had. But that's not called hidden mitzvah. I'm not showing an endearment to the mitzvah. An endearment to the mitzvah means I'm giving my best to it. So now, let's go back. Clarification? We're going to give time for questions. We're going to have time for questions. First, let's get the principle down, and then we'll have questions, and then we'll go back and continue. So now, we have a machlokas. A machlokas is in the Rambam and the Ramah. According to the Rambam, we have one person lighting, and if you have 10 people in your house, like the Rambam said, the first night the guy lights 10, the next night he lights 20, the next night he lights 30. Whereas, according to the Ramah, the first night everyone lights 1, the second night, everyone likes two. The third night, everyone likes three. What's this machlokas? So this is the most famous piece. You guys heard of the Briskarov? You guys, yeah? You guys heard of Chaim Soloveitchik? Yes. So who's Chaim Soloveitchik's father? The Beis Alevi. What was the Beis Alevi's name, guys? What, what, what? 
Ah, Yashav Bear, Salavechik, Yosef Tov Salavechik. Who else was named Yosef Tov Salavechik? Oh, so why do you think he was named that? Uh, unbelievable, guys, there's actually history here in the making. So now, the Beis HaLevi, who we spoke about already defining this concept of the Rambam and Hidr Mitzvah, that what? That Hidr Mitzvah means that you have to perform the Mitzvah, and you can only perform the Hidr whilst performing the Mitzvah itself, comes along the Beis HaLevi and says, this is the Rambam, what we call Lishitaso. He's being consistent with his opinion. In the same way the Rambam said that when it comes to bris milah, so the fulfillment of Hidr has to come together with the fulfillment of the actual mitzvah itself. So too when it comes to Neiros Hanukkah. The Neiros Hanukkah, when I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of Hanukkah, I want to beautify it. I want to fulfill the, the Hidr that the Gemara stated. <clears throat> but if someone else is doing it, says the Briskarov, the Beis Halevi's grandson, that's already called your parish. It's called you separated. I'm not doing the mitzvah anymore. Someone else is doing the mitzvah. And if that's true, there can't be a fulfillment of Hidr like that. And therefore, claims the, 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 the Briskarov that's the explanation of the Rambam. The Rambam who demands that the same person who lights the first candle, who fulfills the actual mitzvah of Ne'er Yishubesel, has to light all the other candles because that's the only, within the context of fulfilling the actual mitzvah itself, that's the only way they can also fulfill the, the halacha of Hidr. Whereas the Ramah would disagree. The Ramah would say that Hidr is something that you could fill extraneously to the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. And therefore, have one person light and even after one person light, someone else could light also. I, they're only lighting for Hitter. Who cares? Why can't Hitter be something separate than the mitzvah itself? And let's be frank, right? Well, the whole source for the Beis Halevi is from the Rambam. And the Rambam is sourcing in the fact that he said that the bris milah that the Gemara was talking about happened even during the week. But all the other Rishonim that said that it happened during Chol, that it happened on Shabbos, that means that this limitation of going back for the parts of the foreskin which are not preventative for the mitzvah milah, that limitation that you can't go back for it is only on Shabbos, but the rest of the week you could go back. So according to all the other opinions in the Rishonim that don't learn like the Rambam, there's no reason I can't fulfill Hidr Mitzvah separate from the actual fulfillment of the mitzvah. And therefore that's only the claim, the risk, the risk of Rav claims here, is the distinction of Machlokis between the... Rambam and the Ramah, that according to the Rambam, he's of the opinion that Hidr Mitzvah can only be fulfilled while you're performing the Mitzvah itself, whereas the Ramah holds that you're able to fulfill Hidr even separate from the actual performance of the Mitzvah. Set stage one, <coughs> according to this, we've come out so far with two different types of Mahajan, right? Mahajan number one is lighting for each person in the house. Now, why is that a Hidr? Why would it be lighting for each person in the house as a Hidr? There's a question you want to answer. What do you guys think? I can light a candle, one person for myself and my whole household, or I can light a candle for each member of my household. Or each member of my household can light a candle. Why is it a hitter? What's the beauty in that? Yeah. Beautiful, more light showing to more people, but why is that expressed by how many people are in my house? Let me just light a million candles, right? So why is that expressed by each person in the household? Who, who, who? Yeah? Because it's in your house now? So I light a million candles in my house. Why, do I, why, why the people in my household? No. Oh, beautiful. It's saying that each person in my household wants to be Mepharsim and Each person wants to show that we were part of the miracle also. Unbelievable. 
So that's one type of mahadrin. So one type of mahadrin we're seeing so far is an expression of Pursume Nisa for each member of my household. Now what's the next level? Mahadrin mean mahadrin? What's that? What's, what's the, the fact that I'm lighting one, two, three, four? Where's the hitter in that? Where's the beautification? There's a beautification showing the extremity, the gravity of the nace. And that each day, the miracle that occurred was more and more miraculous. It lived for one day, it lived for two days, three days. Whoa, whoa unbelievable, eight days. Each day, the gravity of the nace increased. And therefore, we have, first of all, two different expressions of hitter going on here. Number one, that each person in the household is being mefaris in the nace. And secondly, that the, to show the gravity, how extreme the nace was, is also a hitter. At this point, I'll pause and take questions before we go in. Uh, yeah. Pause. How, how, uh, how, is the, how is buying the means together here? So it's a good question. I'll say it like this. I would assume that these three examples of hitter that the Rambam brings are specifically examples which objectively we wouldn't have defined them as hitter. Right? What's the hitter in cutting off more of the foreskin? What's the hitter in having a muk of kvil around the Sefer Torah? You don't see this as necessarily beautifying it. And we see here that picking up all of the minim when they're bound, picking up, right, taking them together as bound is also a beautification. So it's a fulfillment of hitter, not when you bound them themselves, but when you pick them up when they were bound, that's also considered like I beautified the mitzvah. Quincy. Um, another way where you got the last reason for so I would, I would respond on two levels. I would first of all respond that first the Gemara brings two reasons, both in Basil and Beishamai. And the fact that we pass like Beit Shammai, not like Beit Shammai, shows us we're not correspondent to Pariachag. But even afterwards, the Gemara brings a Maisa Betzidon, right? And there's two Zakanim that argued, and there was actually a, the Machlikis was do we go after the, the Mosif Vaholech or Pochis Vaholech of the Beit Shammai? And Pochis Vaholech, I would, I would argue, was yes, correspondent to the, to the, the showing expressing the Nase. And the reason that the two Zakanim and Tidon brought was because of Mosif Vaholech or Pochis Vaholech, and not because of Pariachag. So the girl brings down from there, there's an afkamina that comes out. An afkamina that comes out is the concept of hakira. Hakira means that they have to be recognizable that we're actually being most of a holich, a pochis vaholich. Let's be on the scope a little bit. It could be a machlokas rashi tosvus and how we like that it gets into that. But yeah, Chuck. Um, can we say that the, uh, the separate from uh, just uh, being, like the reason that we wouldn't do additional cutting as a foreskin? You're asking a good question. There's a sefer called the Merkevisa Mishnah. The Merkevisa Mishnah was a sefer that was written on the Rambam. He explains the Rambam like that. But the reason you can't go back and cut is because of something called Sara Dianuka, because you're hurting the baby. You have to, it's a chiddish a little bit, because if you're not porish, you're allowed to cut as much as you want, even if it's separate incisions. So the fact that we're saying that if you're in the middle of the process of getting separate incisions, but they're happening right next to each other, that's okay. But if it's happening out within a larger span of time, that's not okay. That's a chiddish. The Merkabah's mission writes this explicitly. 
But uh, the Brisker Rambam didn't go with that. But it's true. There is a, that's for sure a legitimate approach to understanding the Sheets of Rambam, 100%. Next question, then we have to go on. Rambam starts explaining the Echad as being expression of So even if, like, and once he explains that, I don't care why you drop it once. Like, he starts explaining it in a way that fits the definition. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you're asking. We have to explain the Echad as an expression of the that's like inherent to so the way we explained that, yeah. based off Noah, was yeah. that each person's being mafar the nace. He doesn't. Each person's being mafar not only the nace, but being mafar the gravity of the nace. That each day there's well, ten people saying there was one day's worth of miracle, and the next day there's two days for two days. Each member of the household's expressing that. The Balabai is lighting it for each individual. So each, even though they're not lighting the candle, there's being a candle or two candles or three candles being lit for each member of the household. Who's, that's, significant, that's correspondent to them Kilo being the first and the next. This is two questions already. Doing the oil process. Doing who? The meal process. How can we Why would we explain that <laughs> it could very well be that both parties agree to both types of hitter. I'm presenting it just to bring out an idea, but it could be that both agree to both types of hitter. Now, that's so far we've gone through ten, eight, two different, I'm sorry, two different types. We've explained what hitter mitzvah is. We've explained different opinions and the approach of hitter mitzvah. We've explained two different categories of hitter mitzvah. Now I want to see different manifestations of hitter within Hanukkah. This, I think, is fascinating. If you don't find it fascinating, so you have to put up with me, or you can walk out like the other guys. But if you put up with me, you'll find eight different types, eight more distinct types of Hidr Mitzvah here. So the first thing I brought for you is a Mishnah Gura. The Mishnah Gura says, Kosvo Asvarim, yeah, this is for you, Berger, is brought down in the Kabbalistic sources that what? A person should have a beautiful menorah. Now, let's talk frank, boys. What does a menorah have to do with the mitzvah of Hanukkah? Do you need a menorah for the mitzvah of Hanukkah? No, no. Absolutely not. In times of Chazal, they didn't have such a thing. They had candles. They had something called a ner. Right? It was made out of, it was made out of ceramic. It was a one-time use, and you threw it out afterwards. Unusable. And they had one of them, two of them, three of them. Where does the menorah come from? So what's the menorah? So menorah, if we're going to let's go, let's, let's put in our terminology. Is menorah part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah, or is it showing chavivas a mitzvah? What? Chavivas. I'm showing that I care about it. Now, how is having a beautiful menorah, how is that showing any kind of chavivas? What's it doing? How, in what way is that expressed, that chavivas? Leave. This is... So, so the, fact, the fact that I'm showing you that I'm lighting it with a type of instrument which is unique to Hanukkah is showing that I'm lighting with a certain endearment to the Hanukkah itself. Yeah. What's the difference between Chavivus and Hitter? Chavivus is a, a, a form of Hitter. That's what we're claiming. It's a form of Hitter. If you want to say that it's actually part of the Mitzvah itself, part of the Sumanisa is people seeing the menorah and therefore... If that door is more attractive, therefore it's part of the ichimus itself. Even though they're not looking at the light. Okay, but it attracts them. I hear. It's a chiddush. 
Yeah, you'll need. It's a little it's similar to Quincy's. I mean, if you just have candles in your house, people might not know that they're Hanukkah candles. If they're in a Hanukkah menorah, then people will know that it's for Hanukkah. So. Beautiful. So you guys are saying one thing. Let me. Let's try to give give it like a terminology. It's saying excellent. Saltzman's pulling in under the radar. Yeah. So now, what would we call it? We would call that the presentation. Had the presentation of the mitzvah, of the performance of the mitzvah, also is an expression of hidder, right? That's what we see here from the concept of having a beautiful menorah. Now, I brought to you here an Elia Rabbah. The Elia Rabbah wrote a commentary on a sefer called the Labush. The Labush was the Rebbe of the Ramah. He actually wrote a halachic work which went, based off the seder of the Shulchan Aruch, he wrote it without having any svarim in front of him. So the Ramah actually writes in the introduction that there's some things which are written in the Lavush which gives reasons for mitzvahs which sometimes it's hard to find a source for. He says, he credits that the fact that Lavush wrote that without having Svarim in front of him. But the Elia Rabbah wrote a commentary on the Lavush. It's a very fundamental, informative sefer on halacha. Um, the Elia Rabbah writes here something which is fascinating. He says, imagine if you have a lot of oil. Yeah? So says the Elia Rabbah, having a lot of oil for your menorah is actually not hit a mitzvah. There's no hitter in it whatsoever. You have more of the same thing. But to have big candles, claims the Elia Rabbah, is a hitter mitzvah. So now, I'll ask you, what's the difference between having a lot of oil in your menorah, as opposed to having large candles, which is, yes, considered a hitter mitzvah, yeah, Mati? And it's not visible, the oil difference. The oil is good, and therefore what? Well, so, someone looking at your performance from the other side of the difference between the oil, uh, two oil cases, whereas there's an obvious hidden difference with candles. Can you give me one more time? I'm saying that's yeah. the easy to let each other, one is less oil, one is more oil. Right. Looking at their mirrors, you really can't tell the difference, other than how long they last. Whereas when someone has big candles or small candles, you can actually see. Okay, good, beautiful, excellent. So, Matis, right, we had to bring a ringer in from London for the Swara. Yeah, what, what, what do you say? You're saying as follows When I have more oil, it's more of the same. I don't see anything, any beautification here. There's more oil, there's less oil. But when I have a bigger candle, so then that's striking. A bigger candle is actually a beautification of that which I'm lighting itself. That's something which stands out. So there, if I can present that's a, the presentation not of the how I'm placing my candles, but the presentation of the candles themselves, I can somehow make my, my fuel, so to say, and present it in a more beautiful fashion, that's also a fulfillment of Hidden Mitzvah. These are questions, guys? Are you with different approaches? Simon, hold off. Is that okay? I like what Matthew said. He said a good photo. Shalabek, guys, you're relentless. <laughs> now, I brought you here. So that's two, uh, that's two so far. Number three. In source 13 is the Magin Avram. The Magin Avram is the primary commentary on the part of Shulchan Aruch called Orochayim, as do of daily life. The Magin Avram says that a person shouldn't light inside of a lamp. In source 13. He says this, a person shouldn't light inside of a lantern. Why not? Because it's glass. And if you light outside of a lantern, that's hidden mitzvah. What is the hidden mitzvah not lighting inside of a lantern? What's that? Uziel. It's not going to shine as bright. Unbelievable. So Uziel's coming in. Even though he's wearing a fez, we have to take him seriously sometimes. Yeah? And what's he say? 
we want you know, the mitzvahs to light a candle, so we want to see that light directly. We don't want, even if it's glass, we don't want anything separating. So it's a hidden mitzvah to have direct exposure to the candle as opposed to having something separate. Holy, what's going on? Huh? A question? Against what Oziel said? So can we hold off on the questions? Let's, let's, let's try to rack up our different types of hitter and then we'll take questions at the end. Yeah? So here we see direct exposure to the candles is also considered a, a form of hitter. Now, there's a, the Archa Shulchan I brought for you says in source 14 that when you have a menorah, you have candles, they should be in a straight line. They shouldn't be round. And why is it that they should be in a, a straight line instead of being round? So... We want that each candle be distinct and recognizable. So we see here, besides being able to see the nair and present the nair in a beautiful fashion, but to be able to see the individual nair as an individual is also something which is, according to Aruch HaShokhan, a form of hidra. It's a form of beautification of the mitzvah. Now, the Ramai brought for you in Surah 15 says, what's the best form uh, what's the best fuel you could use for lighting your Hanukkah menorah? Olive oil. So now, why is that? There's a machlokas in the postcom already, why that is. But why is that? Yeah. Oh, so that's one, that's one stance, because the Maharal goes like this, that since it was originally, the miracle happened with olive oil, there's significance to olive oil. Anyone else know another reason maybe why that would be? Kirstein. Kirstein, unbelievable. It's because you're wearing the Hawaiian shirt, you said it's a swara. So Zevi comes along and says that it burns the best. And since it burns the best, it's clear in the Gemara and the Mishnayas already that olive oil is the cleanest burning type of fuel. So that's why it's a hidden mitzvah. But let's, let's talk about right, the, Maharal, the Maharal's opinion, that the reason is because that's what the miracle happened with. Then we see then that having a historical connection to the basis of the mitzvah itself is also considered a hidra. That's the type of hidra we haven't seen yet. Right? So being able to connect back to the reason for the maizah mitzvah, connecting to that in a historical fashion through your performance is also considered beautification of the mitzvah. It's a clarification? Safik l'chumra. We're going to go on, yeah? <laughs> so now, now I'm ruthless. I'm ruthless today. It's great. <laughs> so now... I brought a few here the tour. The tour, this tour I found this year, I found this a few days ago. It's fascinating. The tour brings someone in the Sar Shalom. The Sar Shalom was one of the Balai Tesfis. The Rush quotes him quite often. The Sar Shalom writes as follows. There's a Machlokas Rishonim, Rashi and Tesfis, where the best place to light is. Do you light in the entry to your own house or do you light in the entry to the Chatzor? They used to have courtyards. That the courtyard was a shared place for all the different people in the house that had houses within the courtyard would use. Use it for cooking, for the laundry, for all these different types of purposes. So, the, according to the Shittas HaTosvitz, the Sar Shalom is one of the, it goes with that opinion, the tour also goes with that opinion, like the Tosvitz, that you're supposed to light it the entryway to your chatzar, to your courtyard. Now, says, says the Sar Shalom, but what happens if there's one, one person living in the courtyard? So then how do you know which menorah is mine and which menorah is the other guys in the courtyards? How are you supposed to be able to discern? So says the Sar Shalom, something unbelievable. He says, if there's more than one person lighting in your courtyard, don't light at the entryway to your courtyard. You should actually light at the entryway to your house. So that way it's recognizable. It's a hider. Is this language? It's a hider to light at the entryway to your house because that way it's recognizable. Whose menorah is it? 
So now we see another form of hitter. Another form of hitter is, is that not only do you have to light and have historical connections and beautiful candles and all this stuff, we have to, it's a hitter to know whose menorah is it, whose menorah is actually being lit. That's a hitter already in the Sar Shalom. Is a clarification? Yeah. yeah. So um, the reason we light at the front of the courtyard is for Sumi right? Correct. So right now we're implying that Hector takes priority over Pursuing Nisa. Correct. Or are you still able to fulfill Pursuing Nisa if the members of the people living around you see your menorah? It could be, I would even give you a third option. It could be that the Sar Shalom is talking about a place where even though you would have more Pursuing Nisa if you lit at the entryway to the courtyard, it could still be that public domain turns into the courtyard, so even people in the public domain could still see inside. It's not clear which case the Sar Shalom is talking about. That's already discussed in the Pisgim. It's beyond our scope right now. But it's a good point you're making. Now, I found a few of the Shuma suggestions. The Shuma suggestion is priceless. The Shuma suggestion does something unbelievable, guys. If, I, if you guys did this, I would, uh, I would attack you and cheer, I'm saying. I would be ruthless. But the Shuma suggestion did it already, so I have, to, I, have to, you know, I have to know my place. The Shuma suggestion says, let's, take, let's talk about, there's a famous case called Achsanai. Achsanai is a case where you're not at home. You're a guest somewhere else. This has ramifications, you can't imagine. Um, where does, where does, this, does the Achsanai have to light? Where does he light? When does he, all these different things. Maybe he shouldn't light, maybe he should. So the Truman suggestion says, let's say there's a person who's married. And even though he's married, he, a right is having you know, an adult mission. And the husband goes on the adult mission. And the wife's at home, Masiris Nefesh from Talan. And it's Hanukkah. We didn't do it in a writer, but theoretically, if we did that, we made an adult mission with Hanukkah, yeah? So now, he knows that in his own house, his wife is lighting for him. Says the Shuma Sedeshin, it's obvious that his own wife is lighting in his house. He fulfills his obligation. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to do anything. But, says the Shuma Sedeshin, if he wants to, he can be Mahader and light at the place where he's staying. Now, now this is unprecedented. I'll, I'll explain to you why that is. It's unprecedented because the whole Gemara that we saw, Nehru Shubeso, Mahadrin, 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 were all talking about in the same house that you can have different members of the household lighting when there's one household is expressing the growth of the nase. There's more people in the household expressing the pure of the nase. But to have it that we're in totally distinct places and there's more candles being lit in different households is something we don't find in the Gemara at all. And the Truman Sedeshin actually admits this. The Truman Sedeshin says, you know what? We don't even find this type of hitter anywhere else. But nonetheless, says the Truman Sedeshin, but I'm telling you that it exists because once we saw that Chazal in the Gemara introduced different types of hitter, I, the Truman Sedeshin, can introduce a fourth type of hitter that's not expressed in the Gemara. And not only that, but he can even make a bracha. So that means that according to the Truma Sedeshin, one household lighting in two different places is also considered a form of hitter mitzvah. Unbelievable. I'm going to give you one more type of hitter, and then we're going to make a recap, and then we'll go in for questions. I brought for you here a Bir Alacha. The Bir Alacha is in Hilchah Sukkah. The Bir Lacha in Hilchah Sukkah says something which is applicable always. Obviously, you have to do it in a healthy way, and you have to know when this applies. But the Bir Lacha says that, you know, even though the Shulchan Aruch paskins a certain way, or the Ramah paskins, they come to a halakha conclusion a certain way, 
That doesn't mean that that's universally agreed upon. Like we saw already, right? There's, the Rambam holds one way, they help us. You know, Hanukkah and the Ramah can hold something different. There's different opinions on every, pretty much everything in Judaism, right? So says the Allah, you know, to fulfill other opinions, even if they're not Paskin, they're not brought in the Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah, fulfilling those other opinions is also a fulfillment of Hidr Mitzvah. So that means that to go, to be stringent and fulfill a mitzvah part, according to a certain opinion, even if it's not mandated upon me, to go ahead and be you know, sensitive to that opinion, even if I'm not obligated to, is called a Hidr Mitzvah. So now let's make a recap. How many different types of Hidr Mitzvah do we have here? Right? Hidr Mitzvah, number one, having the expression of the miracle for each person in the household. Number two, having an expression of the gravity, the severity of the nace, how tremendous nace was each day adding to it. Number three, having a beautiful menorah, the presentation of how do I want to, how do I want to show my performance of the mitzvah. Number four, having beautiful candles, having the, the mitzvah itself be presented, not just how I'm, how, I'm, how I'm showing it, not the stage that I'm putting it on, but the actual fuel itself be presented in a beautiful way. That's a different type of header, that's number four. Number five, having the light clearly visible. If the mitzvah is to light the candle, to have that light clearly visible, not even having glass in front of it to block that view. Number six, that each candle being lit should be clearly viewable. Right? Not just that it should be a glass, but each individual candle. I shouldn't set them up in a way where it's hard to distinguish how many candles are here. It should be clear and distinct how many candles I have here. Number seven, having a historical connection to the mitzvah itself, right, using Shem and Zayas, because that was how the miracle was performed. Number eight is having more household light, making distinguished clear that it's your house that's lighting, not someone else's house that's lighting. Number nine, having one household light even in more than one place, even though it's not mentioned in the Gemara, is also a fulfillment of Hidden Mitzvah. And number 10, being particular and sensitive to other opinions, even which aren't obligated in halacha, but to fill them as also constitutes Hidr Mitzvah. So if we're talking about ah, Mahadrin, the Mahadrin, meaning Mahadrin, already we have enough, uh, we have enough to keep you busy. Mirza Hashem for Hanukkah. The questions? Yeah. So going back to the two types of Hidr Mitzvah that we brought in the last The Rambam, the Rambam, the Rambam says there's two different types of mitzvah. There's a hitter mitzvah. There's a hitter mitzvah which is in the mitzvah itself, and therefore, like in Mila, will allow you to give you the allowance of being melchal Shabbos even while performing hitter because that's part of the mitzvah itself. And there's a totally different type of hitter which isn't part of the mitzvah itself, which is showing endearment to the mitzvah. And that can be manifest by having, you know, a silver pen when I'm writing a Sefer Torah. The two, right, the two different types that work not, not, not together. Uh-uh, we have to spread the love. Yeah, Caleb. Um, is there, a, is it possible under, like, for there to be, like, is Hitter Mitzvah only referred to, like, actually, like, a, uh, like, a physical beautification of it? Or, and I don't really know how many examples of, it would be, of this there would be. Or can it be kind of, like, an emotional or uh, type of, like, Hitter to it, which are probably more of a chaviva mitzvah, like adding on to Shabbos. We're not really making the mitzvah more beautiful, but you're creating like a sense of excitement or love for it. 
Yeah, you're asking a very good question. I've thought about this question quite a bit because I'll give you an example even now that's relevant. Imagine if a person could light with oil, he could light with olive oil, but he found a menorah that he mamish loves and it can only work with candles. So now what's he do? On one hand, you have this kind of hitter mitzvah, which is the oil, which we'll call, let's say, the historical connection, right, like the Maral, where you have something which you yourself, you feel like you're connecting to this mitzvah more. So what's preferable? I've never seen anyone discuss this explicitly. Based off everything that we said, my assumption is that you bet we would have the right to choose, meaning inasmuch as we don't see that this is something, either one of them, and not a, a hidden mitzvah in the fulfillment of the mitzvah itself, they're both expressions of chavivus. So where do we see priority of one over the other? You can make an argument maybe that the Ramah brings one and the Ramah doesn't bring the other, but in, in the sukya, I don't know why that would be. I would assume that you could choose which one you would speak to more. That would be my assumption. And you knew Harrison. The egg of the Lulav. Yeah. The, the, is that the object, the deep mitzvah, is different as opposed to the pen for the Sefer Torah is more about the, you know, I, I just, it looks like there's like the outcome, and like the object versus like everything else. That's what we call it. You think Chavivus is something, expression, the process of it. Whereas when it comes to... So I don't know if that's 100% true, because I would claim that even having a nice menorah is also an expression of Chavivus. Having a nice menorah is, is part of the process, or it's part of while you're fulfilling the mitzvah itself. I'm not sure that's accurate. So isn't the pen just like the menorah then? Yeah, I assume so. Correct? Exactly. One more question. Who didn't... Uh, we have someone new. Sanger. Yeah. It's very prevalent by Hanukkah. Right, I mean, so like this whole discussion about like, oh, how do you make a particular level of Mahajan or whatever? Yeah. Do you think that's more so because of like, first of all, there's no like actual safer for Hanukkah, it's also only a Duralanan, so like they have to, in order to enhance the different like ways of going about the practicing of Hanukkah, they have to make sure that there's different layers and different ways, that's like, because there's nothing there from Dora to actually bring down. Excellent. So Eitan was a great segue to close us up because even though it's Shir Klali and we have to talk about Halacha, but we're going to end with a philosophical topic and that we know that when it came to Hanukkah specifically, so Hanukkah, they theoretically could have gone ahead and lit oil that was Tameh. Why? We know there's a concept called Tumah Hutshub Tzibor, that if there's something which the entire Tzibor was exposed to, was, was defiled and exposed to a certain type of too much, and impurity. So therefore, even though normatively speaking, you have to be in a state of purity to do, perform certain actions in the base of Mikdash, since Tzibor, so therefore, we would have been able to light the candles in a state of Tumah. Nonetheless, they were particular, and they beautified the mitzvah by doing a state of purity. And therefore, that could be already the basis why we're more interested in the state of purity, specifically when it comes to Hanukkah. 
That's food for thought. And if there are any more questions, I'm happy to take it after the next Ah, I thought you were saying because uh, Rambam shares in two minutes. <laughs>